Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 156 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 7th, 2011 with our post-signing day podcast. We've got a lot of recruiting stuff to get to. We're going to talk to Gerard Martinez in the first segment and also the USC winter workouts have started. We're going to talk to Dan Weber in the second segment talking about the team who's looked good. Uh, Bryce Butler was actually out practicing with the team on Monday. Uh, so we're going to talk to Dan about all that fun stuff. If you have any questions or comments, you can always drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or give us a call. We like the voicemail questions too. 206-888-6755. We can play your voicemail on the air and answer your question on the podcast. So as I, talk, as I talked about, Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst is joining us in this first segment. Got to talk a lot about recruiting. What's going on, Gerard? Hello, Trojan fans. <laughs> I need to sign in like you. You do whatever uh, you want, man. We'll make one up for you. Yeah, yeah. It'll be something sticky that uh, everyone can uh, remember me by. I'm doing good. Uh, just, you know, kind of getting away from uh, the 2011 class here. It's lingering a little bit, but it seems like every year, Recruiting classes seem to overlap more than years previously. So, you know, this year we'll see uh, if uh, anyone adds to the 2011 class or if we're really ready to focus on the 2012 class. We just put up our defensive target list for juniors already. And uh, so we're uh, already started in that direction. But um, we'll see. Maybe there's some additions to the 2011 class. And obviously, as we talked about throughout the year, 2011 is going to be probably the most important recruiting class that USC has had for sure for Lane Kiffin, but maybe in the last two, three decades because of what uh, lies ahead of them in terms of sanctions and uh, what, might, what might happen with scholarship you know, limitations. So we'll see what happens, but uh, that's what we're getting ready for. So no less for the wicked. Uh, we're right back on it. We are right back on it. I just wanted to get this out of the way before we get started. We're going to talk about the recruiting class, of course, ranked number four in the country by Rivals.com, and 10 of the Rivals' 100 players decided to play for USC and Lane Kiffin. That's a pretty good ratio, getting 10 out of the top 100 guys in the country. But we'll get to all of that stuff. Gerard, this is our three-year anniversary of doing the podcast, our 156th episode. We've been doing them every week, 52 weeks a year, divide it all up. It's our three-year anniversary. We started after signing day three years ago, so I just wanted to uh, give ourselves a little pat on the back. We've, I can't believe we've been doing this show for three years already. It's just a normal thing anymore, right? You know, I mean, I guess we had our terrible twos, and now we're three years old, and uh, I guess we're looking forward to uh, five years. Uh, five years old, and uh, we'll be riding the bike pretty soon for the podcast, right? For sure, for sure. And if you're out there in USC football land somewhere, and let someone know about it. We get a lot of emails and voicemails, but obviously want to expand our reach and get more people listening to the show. If you have a USC friend, Tell them to go to peristylepodcast.com and check it out. Check out the show. We really appreciate it. And wherever we go out, people always want to come up and talk to us about the podcast. So it's, it's been fun to do. And uh, glad, Gerard, you've been a part of it the whole time. 
Yeah, it's, it has a large reach. I mean, there's a lot of people that uh, don't necessarily subscribe to the site that uh, know about the podcast and ask questions and uh, have commentary and criticism and uh, also good things to say. So it's uh, definitely kind of reaches a different market, I guess, than uh, the peristyle. And uh, obviously we always encourage people to subscribe and be a part of the peristyle because that's probably the pulse of what's happening with USC football and USC athletics. I think you're not going to get uh, much more inside information and, and more consistent information anywhere on the web about USC than the peristyle itself. But obviously, you know, the, the podcast kind of offers uh, a different realm of information and a different way to be able to disseminate it. So we're, we're always happy to do that as well. It's definitely a lot of fun. And, uh, well, I do apologize. We're putting the podcast out much later on Monday than we normally do. I was driving back from Las Vegas, and just one of the ways you know, Gerard, people are listening, is when the podcast doesn't go up, I get my email box starts filling up with people asking about, where's the podcast? Where's the podcast? So I do apologize. It did go up a lot later than we normally I try to usually get up by noon on the West Coast on Mondays, and since I was driving back from Las Vegas, and then USC had a workout, I couldn't, we couldn't do it until late on Monday, but sorry for that, and uh, Gerard, you don't mind doing it on late Monday, do you? Better late than never. Yes. All right. Well, let's talk about the class. Um, like I said, 10 of the top 100 guys in the country. Rivals.com uh, ranked at number four in the country. And this is a, a different class than what we've seen with, with Pete Carroll over the years. It's not the 18 to 20, two, two or three five-star guys and pretty much everyone else a four-star guy. There's There's the top-end guys, the high-end guys, but there's also a lot of well, it looked like role players on this guy. I mean, it's a lot different. There's a lot more numbers. You're talking about 30 guys as opposed to 18. I mean, it's a pretty different class from what USC's used to. Yeah, and that kind of reflected in the in the class grades that we put up this weekend. I think that when you have a large class like this, you're not just looking at the marquee players who are going to come in and replace this player you're losing or that player you're losing who's a starter, who's a guy that's been there, who's been a marquee player for USC for the last four years. You're really looking at a large-scale overhaul of the roster, not because USC wanted to do so, but because they were forced to do so. I think a lot of it has to do with the transfers and the upcoming limitations with scholarships. So you have to look ahead. You have to get players uh, that uh, you're going to project. And really because you have room on the roster to do so, you can take chances on certain guys. A guy like J.R. Tavai, uh, who's a 6'2", 260-pound defensive tackle who – really doesn't look the part right now as a defensive tackle, but you think down the line he could end up being one of the real gems of this class. So you look at players like that that you really can put some stock into and you have to develop in the program, and um, you're going to probably see more red shirts in this class than you've seen in past classes with USC. They have to be able to cultivate some of this talent and bring them through the system. And it's really now that this class is kind of come and gone, it's going to be on the shoulders of the coaches to be able to develop that talent because that's where it's at. Because there are a lot of guys here that are going to be more role players and guys that are coming in to contribute and not necessarily star, which is fine. I mean, we've talked about in past podcasts about the selection process of USC and in years past maybe being a little bit too focused on the five-star and the four-star guys and how that necessarily kind of reflected the, the egos. And, and in the locker room, if the chemistry was always there because you had guys that were all wanted to be star players, I think there wasn't enough of that recruiting of guys to fit a specific role that can kind of maintain uh, an even level, uh, even level of playing on the practice field and not just necessarily on Saturdays and, and bringing guys that are just good for your roster, guys that fit the team. You know, you can go out and get the best players 
but the best players may not be the best players for your specific team when you're looking for, at fit. And I think that's really what was crucial here this year, finding guys who fit the team, not just short-term but long-term for this roster. All right. Well, let's. Uh, why don't we just jump in and start answering some of these questions, and then uh, depending on how much time we have left, we can pick out some other individual guys we think might be interesting to talk about. But our first question is a voicemail question. It was obviously the, the biggest news – Negative news, I guess, for USC was uh, Anthony Thomas of Black Mamba uh, going up to Oregon. Here's a, a question, and we didn't really get a lot of Black Mamba questions. There were some, but this is definitely one that I thought was kind of interesting. Hey, Ryan. Um, long-time Trojan fan. Um, I just had um, just a curious question regarding the recruitment of the Black Mamba. Uh, I was wondering, um, uh, do you think that if Lane Kiffin would have um, giving him, you know, his uh, official visit this past weekend instead of him going to Oregon, it would have made a difference between him choosing Oregon and USC. And if so, how come Lane Kiffin didn't do that instead of putting him on the January 14 visit? Um, and one more thing, um, I wanted to know uh, how was how, How's everything looking with the sanctions? Thank you very much, and have a good day. There you go. Gerard, what what about that, that big weekend we talked about? A lot of guys coming in to visit. Do you think it would have made a difference if DeAnthony Thomas didn't visit that weekend? A lot of SC fans depressed over DeAnthony Thomas. Uh, you can tell in the, uh, the, the, the tone of that voicemail. Um, you know, it's really tough to say because – there's a lot of information about why DeAnthony Thomas went to Oregon on that official visit to begin with, because for the longest time there was talk that he wasn't going to take an official visit anywhere. Uh, that came from him. Now, we know that you know he did have some interest in Washington throughout. He didn't have interest in Oregon, and Oregon really didn't recruit him very hard for very long. And that's kind of the interesting dynamic in this whole story, is that Oregon was a little bit of a Johnny-come-lately uh, in the process. Um, now, you know, late hasn't been a couple months compared to maybe two or three years of recruiting him. I mean, USC's been after this kid uh, since he pretty much was a freshman going into his sophomore year. Everybody's known about him, and he's had that nickname even going into Crenshaw High School. So when you're looking at this thing long term, um, Oregon kind of came in late with it. And a lot of people that I know that are really good sources kind of were surprised just at Oregon itself. I, I think the Washington thing was understandable because, like I said, they'd been for him for a long time and had been recruiting the city section and had connection to players that are also committed to USC and knew Anthony Thomas for a long time as well. And that kind of made more sense. But Oregon kind of plucked him out of the middle of nowhere. And really, uh, when you look at their class, Oregon has never really had a lot of connections in the city. They didn't really do a great job of getting a lot of city guys this year. They haven't been ahead on scholarship offers in the city uh, in comparison to, to Washington, I think who's actually probably ahead of the curve of everybody in the Pac-10 right now when it comes to evaluating talent in the city. We'll see if that changes with USC staff kind of being in place now and having another year under their belt. And, you know, the longer that goes, the more connections they're able to make. And then that's a little easier to make those evaluations and you kind of know players coming up um, through the, the freshman and JV ranks. Uh, and then you have UCLA, which is probably in that third running. So Oregon's not necessarily a school that's out there on top of a lot of the city guys uh, doing a good job getting them. 
when he takes his visit, how does that affect the overall, you know, grand scheme of things or where he decides to commit? The short answer is I don't know because a lot of people say there was something that was very specific that happened that caused him to want to get out of L.A. It didn't have anything to do with what position he was playing. And I've heard different stories, and there's been different things put out there. Um, I haven't heard from DeAnthony Thomas specifically. I've heard from a lot of good sources, people that are close to him, as to what really happened. But I haven't heard from him, and I think it's hard to really get into the details and, and start talking about specifics as to why he left without hearing from him. Eventually, that story is going to come out. So, you know, I don't want to gossip, but I want to be a rumor monger and just kind of put out, oh, well, he left for this reason. And, you know, that's why uh, if he would have taken his visit in the last weekend, he wouldn't have gone to uh, the Oregon or he would have stayed committed to USC. I don't know that for a fact. I think that um, the reason why they brought him in when they did was because you had Marcus Martin, you had Antoine Woods, you had Greg Townsend. You had a lot of the players from that city section, from that kind of that – that close-knit group of guys that all kind of live close to each other, have known each other for years, get along. They're kind of the foundation of this recruiting class for USC. So when they bring them all on a visit, I mean, it really helps solidify a lot of those relationships between each other and the coaches, as well as help bring in guys like Lamar Dawson and Andre Walker, who also came in that weekend for USC. So it's really easy to say after the fact, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, if they would have brought him in the last weekend, well, then obviously he couldn't have been in Oregon that last weekend. But maybe something happens where he doesn't officially visit USC at all. I mean, maybe, you know, there's something that goes on in his personal life where he feels like he's got to get out of Los Angeles. He's got an official visit set up to USC, and he decides he's not even going to take that official visit to USC. And he still ends up at Oregon. Um, I know for a fact that he contacted Cal about taking an official visit too that same week, and they were expecting him to come in on an official visit, and were kind of surprised when all of a sudden he popped up in Oregon. So all of that was going on. There was a lot of contact between a lot of schools at that point, the last weekend of the year, and I think if what is true from what I've heard from a personal standpoint for him, he leaves L.A. regardless. There's no, it has nothing to do with the timing of his visit. It's it's really just him leaving because of personal reasons. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, I, I don't know if that's really true or not. If, if what I've heard, I've heard variations on the story. I've heard different stories. Again, I don't want to get into that. But in general, I think that um, it, it, it was what it was. He left. I think SC fans kind of got to move on from it. Um, he is one player, a good player, a guy who's a little bit – of, a, of, a, of an icon, if you will, I think, for the recruiting class. I think that's bigger than anything. I think it's bigger than his just talent. You know, I think it's bigger than him coming in and needing him from a corner standpoint. It's more about that, uh, that image of USC being able to lock down all the top players locally and not allowing those guys to get away. That takes a hit. But, you know, it, this, this recruiting class is really good, and I think under the circumstances, um, that's the bigger story for USC. All right. Um, okay, well, let's get to some more of these questions. Thank you for sending that one in. I think that was Miguel who, who uh, put that voicemail question in. Um, specifically, Pat wanted to know that Lane Kiffin in his press conference said there are several other recruits that may come. What is that about? And I think uh, there's some follow-up questions here that, that might address part of that. Steve uh, Bill from the East Village and Kevin both wanted to know about Steve Dillon. 
the defensive end from Palmdale, if he's going to be an officially signed member of the 2011 recruiting class. That might have been one of the guys that Lane Kiffin was talking about, but maybe you can address that, Gerard. That is one of the guys. USC's in the process of working that out. Kind of another situation that officially USC can't speak on. And just out of respect for Steve Dillon, I don't want to speak on it because, you know, he's kind of working on it right now, and, and, and USC's working with him. He wasn't a part of the official class. He wasn't signed on the official release. So we'll see what happens. I know that he's still committed to USC and still wants to go to USC, and I think that's probably the most important thing right now. And I think that, um, you know, when everything gets taken care of, I anticipate he'll still be a part of this class. We'll see. Again, you know, I don't want to raise expectations, but my vibe, uh, having talked to him um, just the other day, I think that he'll still be a part of this class. But we'll see what happens. And once it all happens and it all pans out, you know, we can kind of talk about it more. But it's a touchy situation because, again, he's not officially part of the class, and therefore USC can't talk about him. He's still a recruit, um, you know, in the eyes of the NCAA. So that would be a player. There are – some offensive linemen still out there, junior college offensive linemen. You know, there are possibilities for transfers. Uh, there's still a couple rides open um, in terms of the numbers for USC, so they could go out and plausibly sign more players. I think it's just an issue of uh, figuring out who's available and how much they can help the team. Now, the thing is, though, USC cannot use scholarships they have now and kind of have them carry over to next year's class from what we understand and again we're getting into these rules with the NCA and the sanctions which I don't know who has all the answers to these rules because it seems like even people that we talk to in compliance sometimes are you know things change a little bit in terms of interpretation it's almost like uh, constitutional law it seems uh, with these uh, sanctions and, and what the penalties are and what you can and cannot do with them um, but from what we understand it's, you know, at most 15 next year, no matter what, unless they get the appeal. Um, so if they don't get the appeal, it's 15, and that number is set. It's not like this year where you can carry over to a non-section year and bring in players early or have them gray shirt, et cetera, et cetera. It's pretty much a set number. It's If you don't get the appeal, you're not granted the appeal. It's 15, and if not – then um, you know you're going to be able to uh, just go forward and, uh, and and have to work from that 15 you know for three more years past this point because you know this was a, a an appeal year so the sanctions were stayed. Exactly, and I, I don't think the 15 number is going to come into play because of the move that Lane Kiffin made this year by signing such a big class, getting in the early enrollees, and trying to max out and, and get that scholarship number back up into the 80s which he apparently has done now. And if they add any more, you can obviously, it can go a little bit higher, but with only 13 seniors on the roster, there's probably not going to be an opportunity to, to get more than 15 guys, unless there's a bunch of defections and things like that. But um, it, it seems like the, the 15 number, if that doesn't get reduced because of the, the appeal as a result of the appeal, then um, the 15 number probably won't come into play. It's the 75 that tried to stay under 75 scholarships. That's where the big the big question will be. Exactly, and and we say 15. It's I, I kind of almost you know I thought myself there. It, it's it's 15, but USC already has four committed players for the 2012 class. So I mean, technically, we're looking more like you know 10 here. <laughs> we're already getting into a place where you know they've got committed players. So going forward, you you don't have really the scholarships. 
Um, you know, it's not 15 on top of the four that they already have just to make clear for people. All right. Well, let's go to our next question. Let's see. Oh, the story on Isaiah Wiley, the uh, junior college um, cornerback that looked like he was going to be an early enrollee and then wasn't. What's the story on him? That's a good question. Um, We've tried to contact him a few times. He's uh, been updated on the Paris style, and he's not one to talk very much. He seems like uh, he's uh, pretty set in going to USC and being a May enrollee instead of an early enrollee, um, but he's not been a guy that we've been able to get on the phone and really get much information from him. Uh, did try to talk to his coach a little bit about it. He seemed a little out of the loop as to what was really happening with him because he's no longer playing football at Arizona Western anymore. Um, so he's basically got to get... I think another class, and I think this is actually what came into effect with Arkansas. Supposedly, he couldn't get into Arkansas because he needed another math class that he didn't need for USC. And we've heard this come up time and time again. Bryce Schwab was another guy that uh, was an offensive lineman from Palomar um, a couple years ago who was committed to USC for a long time, was supposed to be an early enrollee, went to Arkansas, turned out you know he couldn't go and early enroll, be an early enrollee in Arkansas, and then he came to USC and couldn't be an early enrollee there. And I think he ended up at, at, at Arizona State and actually got to be an early enrollee at Arizona State and played for Arizona State last year. Well, this kind of sort of seems like the same thing with Darius Wiley, although Darius Wiley at this point um, has already signed with USC and is just going to be able to, to come in in May, and he seems you know ready to do that. If it was maybe later in the process where he would have figured that out, or I should say earlier in the process where he would have figured out maybe he would have went to another school where he could become an early enrollee because we've seen that. It's not all the same in terms of academic standards and what you know specific classes you need. So, <laughs> I mean, that basically comes into play. Uh, if a kid wants to come in for spring ball, he may pick one school over the other, uh, but I think it was too late in the process. It was basically we didn't start hearing uh, about him um, not being able to be an early enrollee until, geez, what was it, like two weeks before signing day, three weeks maybe. Um, so that was kind of later in the process, and I think at that point he was just done and ready to just sign with USC regardless. Yeah, he was already introduced at the basketball game as one of the early enrollees, so it's a, people were kind of shocked to find out. So we were, we were talking about that on the Peristyle quite a bit there. And then, you know, he did end up signing with USC as expected uh, on signing day. So just wasn't an early enrollee. All right, we got a question from Evan. He wants to know, do you think Andre Walker, someone you already mentioned, can start next year? What do you think, Gerard? I think he might. I think he and Cyrus Hobby do have a really, really good opportunity to play a guard. When you look at the roster and you look at the depth chart, I mean, the one glaring position that I think everybody's kind of trying to figure out who ends up being the guy to step up is center. That's a huge, huge place where last year USC, I mean, they had a former walk-on and Abe Markovich playing center behind Chris O'Dowd, and everybody was just crossing their fingers, hoping their breath. Chris O'Dowd didn't get hurt because they ended up, Markovich ended up getting hurt. And there was really no depth there at all. They moved John Martinez from center over to guard. I kind of think there might be an opportunity where they move Colette Holmes from guard to center, mainly because he's so cerebral. He's a really smart kid. And center is a really important position. I mean, you have to get the snaps. It's more than anything. And we saw this with USC when they moved Jeff Byers there, and they were hoping Jeff Byers would be able to play center a few years ago. 
if you can't get the snap, you can't play. I don't care what kind of offense it is. I mean, it's just a very basic part of football. That snap, that center uh, quarterback exchange is is crucial, and you got to be clean. You got to be on time. It ruins not only uh, not only you know in terms of game you know preparation and whatnot, but I mean if you're in practice. Just getting that done, it, it destroys everybody's preparation across the board because, I mean, you can't have your quarterback throwing your receivers and being on time if you can't get the snap. I mean, anything, you know, becomes an issue if you're fumbling snaps and having issues that way. So being that important, I think they've got to move somebody from guard over to center. And I think Cullen Holmes is a possibility. They may go back and try Martinez out there. It just would be odd seeing that they had no depth there last year and he had an opportunity, you know, being a backup, that he could go back to center and play center, and they didn't really do that, that maybe they like him at guard more, so they might give somebody else a shot. So if that happens, regardless of who it is at guard moving over to center, you're going to have another guard position that's going to open up, and you lose, you know, Butch Lewis. Um, uh, is Zach Heber coming back? I think he, they lose him too, don't they, this year? Yeah, Zach's gone. So you've got a lot a lot of opportunity there for young guys to come in and step up. And the one thing about Andre Walker specifically is that physically he's very capable of coming in and playing right away. I mean, this is one of the more impressive-looking dudes you're going to ever see uh, from the offensive line standpoint. I mean, he's 6'5", 355, looks the part, looks uh, much more mature and, and physically built up than you'll see from a lot of guys his age. And so I think, you know, in terms of, you know, being able to physically be able to handle it, guard is a position you can do it. Um, you know, you don't have, I think, as much um, responsibility in terms of pass situations. You put him over there on tackle, and they talked about him playing maybe some right tackle. And that's another position with Tyron Smith leaving that's going to be opened up. But I think USC has a little more depth there with Kevin Graff and some other players that could play tackle. Um, but you put a guy that's young over on tackle, and you kind of cross your fingers because you never know what the pass rush is going to be. And if you've got those defensive ends that are just, you know, really good, uh, fast, athletic guys – that can take advantage of a, of a young, inexperienced tackle, well, then your quarterback's done. You can protect those young players a little more on the interior, putting them at guard. And a guy like Andre Walker, who's, you know, 355 pounds, he's so big that really he can kind of just stand in that, that hole, that gap a little bit, and, and kind of be a little bit of a body catcher in terms of a pass blocker, and not a lot's going to get by him. So I think the guard situation, you could actually see uh, some younger talent there. We'll also see, though, you know, if they do give one of the younger guys a look at center. Uh, Cyrus Hobby kind of talked about being recruited as a guard slash center. And so, you know, we saw Chris O'Dowd come in play center from the start and ended up being a starter as a freshman as a center. That's a very rare thing. It's it's a very rare thing to see a guy be able to come in and do that. I you know, was talking to somebody a while back and he was kind of saying, you know, I thought Chris O'Dell was a little bit of a disappointment. And I just was really, I, I, could, I couldn't really fathom that. I, you know, this is a guy that was a four-year starter and, you know, but I think dislocated his kneecap, all these different things that he's gone through. And he played for USC every year and was pretty dang good every year. And uh, while, you know, he may not end up being, you know, this top high draft choice, I think in terms of his production and contribution to USC's offensive line um, is, is without a doubt, well, he's been one of the best players uh, that Pete Carroll uh, recruited for in the offensive line. So I think, you know, when you're looking at the, the grand scheme of things for USC specifically, that's all they're looking for. And um, we'll see if another guy in this class uh, you know, Cyrus Hobby, maybe Cody Temple is a- actually able to do that. There's a lot on the center position, being able to come in 
and make those calls and, and be able to make line calls and call blitzes and pass protections. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. So you kind of think they would go with somebody that uh, is a little more experienced and just give the guard position to somebody who's younger coming in in this class. Um, and one other thing on Andre Walker, he's a guy that, I don't know, I think you shared the story on the Peristyle. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or not, but when you saw him and the interact with the USC coaches at the Army All-American game uh, in San Antonio, I don't think the mother gave you a very good indication that she wanted her son to go to USC, something along she, those lines. She rolled her eyes when uh, that, that, that comment was made uh, in the lobby of the hotel room, and I'll never forget that. And that was one of those things where you go, okay, you know, USC could be doing a great job with Andre Walker himself, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's, you got to recruit the family. You know, it's more than just recruiting a recruit, that kid. It's, it's this group of people that you're recruiting. And USC did a fantastic job being able to sell his mother and sell his auntie and sell his brother and sell that whole family on going to USC and the opportunity to USC. I mean, you can't say enough about Eric Duran and James Craig and John Morton as well because John Morton was the guy who initiated contact and was really recruiting him throughout the year. And here's another tidbit that people don't understand and probably don't realize with Andre Walker. USC stopped recruiting him at some point during the season. It was probably the end of September into October all the way up until late November they had actually stopped having contact with him for some off-field issues that Andre Walker had. And he righted his ship. They talked to uh, Ted Kinn Sr., who's the head coach there at Glenville, and decided, you know what, we're going to take another crack at this guy. You know, it seems like he's gotten his act together. Uh, and they got, went on him, and, and you know, everything kind of just lined up there at the end of the year. And uh, it goes to show, I mean, it's uh, – an incredible job by the coaching staff being able to get a guy at a neat position and really opens up some dynamics into Ohio and a, and a school like Glenville because it's just one of those schools that, you know, for so long USC has gone after guys. And we're really seeing his believing. As far as, you know, him, you know, we were doing some uh, forecasting for signing day, and I put uh, uh, Andre Walker as being a 49.99% chance if he goes to USC. I wasn't ready to put it at 50%. I knew he had silently committed to USC on, on two different occasions. It came down to, do you believe that he is going to go through the process? I mean, you can talk the talk, but you have to walk the walk. And Andre Walker walked the walk on signing day. He ended up going to USC. And we've seen it with USC in, in two schools now. I mean, Tallahassee Lincoln was a school there that was a, was a tough nut to crack for a lot of schools. And uh, USC has been able to get three commits from Tallahassee Lincoln, and now they get their first commit from Glenville. So we'll see if these guys are actually able to play up to the hype. You know, uh, thus far, the guys from Lincoln haven't at USC. I mean, Jawanta Starling played last year as a starter, which was good, um, you know, early in his career. So we'll see if he's able to develop from that point. T.J. Bryant hasn't had the same level of success, uh, but now they have Buck Allen, who's coming in as a 6'1", 210-pound running back who might actually end up playing linebacker Maybe safety. We'll kind of see. He's definitely an athlete. Athlete. We'll have to see where he fits in in the grand scheme of things. But um, you know, with Andre Walker, that was a huge, huge get for USC. And like I said, one of the one of the few guys that you look at and you say physically he can come in and play Division One college football right away. Uh, another guy that can right away, and the, and Lane Kiffin said on the radio that he's going to be wearing number fifty five is Lamar Darthin, the uh, Mister Mister Football in the state of Kentucky, six two, two hundred thirty pound. Uh, linebacker. We had a question on him. Did he really get number 55? 
Is that the question? That's don't the question. Yeah, that's basically what Lane Kiffin said. I don't think there's anything official. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I think that there's a good possibility. We have to talk to him about that and, and see what his 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 sense on all of that is. You know, if it was guaranteed to him, if that was a reason, you know, he decided to come to USC. I haven't heard that. Uh, from him specifically, there was you know a lot of other reasons he decided to commit to USC. So we'll have to see if that's one of the things that's really been put out there and that you know, you know he's buying into. Um, you know I know USC and, and Lane Kiffin specifically has been a little stingy with numbers. The number one and um, you know the number 55, the number two, and there's all these different numbers that have floated around out there uh, that uh, last year they they took away from some players in fact and said you know you have to earn this number. So I would anticipate, although it's out there and Lane has talked about it, you might have to go in and make sure that, uh, you know, you can play the level of that number. Um, I don't know if they're just going to slap that number on him and say, well, we'll cross our fingers and hope that uh, he, he plays the level of, a, you know, level of a Chris Claiborne or uh, Marcus Steele, you know, Junior Seau, Willie McGinnis. There's so many guys that have come through and worn that number that have been successful. You want to maintain a certain standard with that number. And it, like I said, it goes beyond just number 55 anymore. That number one jersey is going to be interesting. I've heard some talk maybe, maybe George Farmer might be number one next year. We'll have to see. I think – you know, we'll have to see some of these guys play for numbers in fall camp this year. It should be interesting. And check out uscfootball.com. We'll always have the updates of what's going on with all the numbers. Uh, we have a question from Taylor on positions, a class of 2011 guy and 2012 guy. First, Charles Burks, you think he could play linebacker in certain situations? And then 2012 commit Eric Armstead, do you think he ends up playing offensive tackle? With Burks... I think he can play linebacker. I'd really like to see him play fullback because I think he has that added dimension of being really physical and really tough. And USC for the longest time with Stanley Vili, great athlete, fantastic player from a skill standpoint, but not a great lead blocker out of the eye formation, and you need that if you're going to have a pro offense. You can't just have a guy out there who's a hybrid fullback, and I think Boris can be more of your traditional pro type of fullback. Uh, with Eric I don't know, Eric Armstead, I mean, that's a guy that, you know, right now he's coming in on the defensive line. I mean, that's what he's talked about with the coaching staff. Um, that's the position he wants to play. He actually wants to play defensive end, which is the same position uh, that his brother Armand plays right now for USC, strong side defensive end. He is tall, and that's really the issue is, you know, he's 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, he's got some basketball height, and you worry about leverage and pad level with a guy that tall. But at the same time, there's a lot of people who thought Armand Armstead, for sure, going to be an offensive lineman. A lot of schools started recruiting him as offensive lineman, and that's really why USC got him is because he had the legitimate shot of being able to play defensive line, and he's played well. So you don't want to necessarily just cast a player you know, aside and say, well, he's going to play this position for sure when you haven't yet really evaluated him and seen him play in person and seen him play at the college level against top competition. Um, so you know, right now he's a defensive lineman. I understand you know, the excitement and, and the thought that, you know, he could play left tackle. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk of that with Xavier Grimble as well. You know, there's a guy that you look at and you go, you know, he's, he's, he can play tight end. He looks like he'd be a good tight end. But you really, really want to get paid a lot of money in the NFL. That left tackle position is a franchise-type position. So everybody kind of has that thought process, you know, of moving players around um, to those key positions that really matter uh, the most on the team. So, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see how he develops. I mean, he went from being, shoot, uh, 260, 65 pounds 
just, you know, a year ago, and now he's in that 285-pound range, 290-pound range. Um, so, you know, he can end up being 6'9 and end up playing basketball, or Eric Armstead too. So, you know, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We kind of have to watch and see how he develops physically before uh, we can kind of put him into a set position. All right. And then uh, Mark wanted to know about the rivals' rankings. The Pac-12 had a very good recruiting year with five teams in the top 25. But the SEC got nine teams in the top 25. Is there bias in the rivals' rankings for high school athletes for the for the southeastern portion of the United States? Or are they just that good? What do you think? Well, I think that when you're talking about demographics, uh, there are more recruits that come out of those states um, in the SEC. I mean, you have Alabama, you have Georgia, you have Florida. Uh, you have all those states there. Um, even Mississippi, which per capita uh, produces, I think, more NFL players than any other state in the union. So you're kind of comparing apples and oranges. Uh, is there a bias? I think there's always a bias with, with SEC football because that's where the money is being made. Um, that's where you have the most players coming out because, like I just said, the demographics of everything, I mean, there are just more populations um, in, in those areas. You have more big cities in those areas. I mean, California kind of takes the brunt of uh, the recruiting when it comes to the Pac-12 in general. I mean, you, you, you have very few players coming out of Oregon year in and year out uh, that are really Division One guys. Washington has its fair share, but it's certainly not at the level of a South Carolina. Uh, neither is Colorado, neither is Utah. Arizona is starting to step it up a lot for the Pac-12 region. I think Arizona is definitely kind of, um, in terms of uh, per capita, starting to improve enough to where you're looking at it and you're seeing schools from all over the country kind of go to Arizona and start to evaluate and recruit some of those players more. But for state for state, there's just not a lot of states in the Pac-12 region that uh, that produce enough Division One talent to really be on par when you're talking about the SEC. And like I said, Florida itself is producing a lot of Division One talent, and then you've got South Carolina and you've got Georgia, and it's just really kind of – you really don't have to talk about bias so much. It's, it's just the facts. It's just the numbers of it. So, um, you know, it is what it is. And, and in terms of, you know, who has the best uh, players overall, who has the best – when it comes to teams, you know, kind of different questions. That's a little different than just saying, well, you know, is it biased because, uh, you know, that there's more SEC teams ranked um, in the top 25 when it comes to recruiting rankings than there are in the Pac-12. To me, it doesn't really make a huge matter because, uh, you're, like I said, you're you're kind of comparing apples and oranges in terms of uh, where all those teams are able to recruit. And nine times out of ten, most of those Pac-10 or I should say Pac-12 teams now, they're all going to California. And uh, that's why it's more important for USC to be able to set up shop in California, Southern California specifically, and not allow all these teams coming in and to be able to recruit. Because, you know, when you recruit Southern California and you keep those guys home and you keep them going to USC, it's one less guy that Colorado, Utah, uh, Oregon, Oregon State is able to come in and beat you with. All right. Good stuff there, Gerard. Uh, we did have a question from Steve, unfortunately. Steve, I think we'll get to it next week because he want to know about some 2012 uh, recruits which ones are USC is going to make their primary targets we'll start talking about the class of 2012 in more detail next week and the following weeks and stuff um, USC has a junior day coming up there'll be a lot of things to talk about all the camps and combines and all that fun stuff junior day so we'll get on all that in, in uh, future episodes of the Peristyle podcast uh, going three years strong as I mentioned earlier but Gerard Awesome, awesome stuff. Thank you very much for all your insights.
Thanks for having me. All right, everyone else, we got to talk about the team now, guys that are on the team, and actually some of the recruits from this class we've been watching on the practice field, guys like Max Wittick and uh, Cody Kessler and Soma Vanuku. They're out there doing the winter workouts with the USC football team. I was down there today with Dan Weber. We're going to talk to him next about what these some of these guys are doing and answer some of your questions on the team. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're joined by Dan Weber, USAFootball.com beat writer. Dan, what's going on? Hey, uh, not much. Uh, got to see him uh, another throwing session today and beautiful weather and uh, fun to watch them. Uh, they've changed a lot just two, two weeks or two weeks, I think, two weeks, two months. Uh, a lot, you know, lots happened. Yeah, certainly a lot's happened. And what Dan's referring to is the uh, winter workout players are. Obviously, not allowed to practice with coaches until spring football starts. Uh, so what they do is go out and throw on their own. And Matt Barkley runs the show. They organize these a couple days a week. They do their regular conditioning workout with the strength coaches. But when it comes to throwing the football around, that has to be done by the players and the players only. And the, the first one we went to, a lot of kind of walk-on guys. And then the last two have been a lot better, uh, you know, better attended by a lot of scholarship guys. We saw some new faces today that we hadn't seen before, like Mark Tyler. And um, it's fun to see some of the early enrollees like Max Wittick and Cody Kessler, you know, throwing the football around. So they're pretty fun to watch. They really are. Uh, And, you know, it's fun to see a guy like Bryce Butler uh, uh, working out with all his buddies. And, uh, you know, it was, um, and to see Patrick Hall running around without a knee brace for the first time that, you know, that we've seen him. Um, so, uh, you do pick up a lot, you know, you got to see, uh, uh, Xavier Grimble catch about seven or eight balls today that we, you know, that's more than we've seen him catch in probably the whole, uh, you know, the whole season in practice. So that was, uh, that was fun to watch. Yeah, certainly, uh, some good stuff down there. And we put up a lot of videos. We had exclusive videos going up all last week and photos from the workouts. You can check those out. On USAFootball.com, we'll have more videos and photos going up um, from this workout from Monday that we went to. And that was part of the reason we did the podcast so late, because I came back from Vegas and we had to go cover the workout and then doing the podcast later. But what kind of stood out for you today down there, Dan, when you, you're watching the, the workout? Well, I mean, you can't not see um, Kyle Prater in terms of uh, – you know, a more mature-looking kid, quicker, sure, uh, catching the ball, you know, plays so, uh, you know, so much up in the air. Uh, just, he's just, he's one of the ones, you know, he might be, you know, probably, I guess, put on about six pounds or something like that. But, you know, he's like 220, a little over 220. At, he doesn't, he won't say he's 6'6", but he darn well looks like he, he could be, 
very close to six six and and you know with longer arms and hands and all that than Mike Williams had and uh he's just he's really impressive now the problem is you've got Robert Woods who looks like I mean you watch him up close and you watch the feet and you watch the body lean and the uh, the release and the catch and the, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And you think you're watching the, you know, an NFL guy. I mean, he is, he's, um, and when you can watch him, you know, up close one-on-one and really see what he's doing. I mean, he is, he's spectacular. I mean, he's just really, really, really good. Uh, uh, Ambles, um, uh, is, is kind of getting back into the, you know, the swing of things. And it's, it's fun to watch them because they all have their own style. They all have their own way. They run differently. They, um, their footwork is different. Their, you know, their patterns uh, are different. You can see the quarterbacks kind of uh, learning to read each of the individual guys. And then we saw, you know, Xavier Grimble probably had his best day, uh, you know, since he's been at USC in terms of just catching one ball after another in traffic, um, you know, you know, with, get people, you know, banging him and hitting him and, uh, and, and, you know, we haven't seen him catch enough balls to know, uh, what his hands are like, but, uh, but he's, uh, very impressive. He's 245, says that, uh, that tells you he does not want to play offensive tackle. And he said, absolutely. That's what that tells you. Uh, he said, I'll, you know, play a lot of positions, but I, I, I don't necessarily want to play offensive tackle. Um, so that's been a lot of the talk on message boards. People wanted to know, is he going to move? And then with the recruitment of his cousin, they were worried. I think they were, there were some worries about that. And we actually have a question on that. Maybe we can, uh, jump into that now with the signing of Jalen Gribble to Miami, his cousin Xavier will obviously still be playing at USC, right? (laughs) Yeah, that, that certainly seems he's very enthused. He said, you know, they love it. He said he loves, you know, being one of the three tight ends. He said they, they love having. Uh, they call Rhett Ellison their uh, their uh, you know coach, and said it's great to have a, you know Rhett Ellison coaching you. And he said he knows everything, and and he's uh, he's just wonderful to play with. And he said uh, they haven't told any of them of the three freshman tight ends what they're going to be doing. But he said he said we're you know other than the, the tackle move, he said we're willing to you know play wherever we can. We're just trying to learn you know be as good as we can be. But he said it's going great, and he's really enjoying himself. And uh, uh, I think he might have a spot at tight end. I don't know if Christian Thomas is is the one that um, you know they eventually decide to move or not. But uh, we also we're getting to see obviously George Yuko, you know, is out there every day, and he runs and catches the ball, and you know he looks like a 290 pound you know tight end or a 290 pound defensive end. I mean, he's just I'm not sure I've seen. A kid hit as big as he is since I've been at USC that could run like he can, uh, and and catch the ball and do the things he can do. He's just a very skilled, you know, athletic kid. Um, uh, then uh, you know, Kevin Green is like 260 pounds, and and I all the extra weight is in his shoulders and and arms. I mean, he's just so much bigger right now. Now if he you know figures out how to how to play. Uh, he sure looks like uh, he's a very impressive, uh, impressive-looking kid. Um, and there's another impressive-looking kid out there, and that's. Uh, I wanted to thank Brian. That was for the last question about on uh, Xavier Grimble. Jim has a question too. Who is the athlete with a track scholarship 
that is trying out for the football team, how good of a football player he is. And he's someone we've seen a number of times, Dan, and he looks really good out there. I mean, he looks like he belongs. He did last year. You know, I mean, he's he's very, uh, you know, he's, he's out there every name? day. He's out there at the workouts. Uh, we, uh, I'm sorry? We have to give out his name. What is his name? Uh, Peter Yobo. Yeah. Okay, we just uh, – uh, he just looks like he belongs. 6'4", 235, he was listed last year, and that's probably pretty close. Uh, uh, from uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey, home of Rutgers. And um, he went to San Jose State first, and now he's transferred here. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, he's uh, kind of an upperclassman, and, you know, he was here all last year, and I mean, all fall. And when you go out there, it certainly looks, he certainly looks like he belongs, and he certainly looks like, uh, you know, he's, I mean, he just, you know, he might be a walk-on, but, you know, like John Manigan, I mean, he's just uh, kind of a leader, sort of a guy and uh and right in the middle of everything and he was last year in the fall his first time you know that we had seen him uh so they don't have a lot of walk-ons you know you're not going to get a lot of walk-ons at a in a private you know uh elite academic uh you know high uh tuition school like usc but uh but they've got some nice uh some nice kids that, that you really glad are on the roster and on the you know, out there every day. And he's definitely looks like a scholarship player for sure. Like when I'm out there filming, um, you're, you're, you're catching the, whatever guys you can catch, you're checking everything out. And there's some big tight ends. Obviously you talked about Grimble, uh, Randall Telfer, um, Christian Thomas, and he looks almost as good as all those guys. <laughs> right. Know? He just fits right in. Yeah. You don't notice any difference at all. I mean, you really don't. And you, you didn't last year. And he just, he looks like he belongs. Yep, I mean, but that's uh, he—he does belong. I mean, he does. He's. What have you uh, seen from the young quarterbacks so far? We mentioned uh, Cody Kessler and Max Wittick as, as early enrollees. They could get to come out and throw the football around. We're not allowed to talk to the incoming, for, you know, those freshmen yet. We have to wait until spring ball, and if they a lot, you right. know, usually they keep them uh, kind of under wraps for a little bit. But we get to see them out there throwing the football around. It seems like they're getting along with everyone really well. Oh, yeah, no, they fit in really well, and, and they fit in really well with one another. It's kind of neat that you'd have two kids in, the, you know, both, uh, you know, some rankings, they were two of the top three quarterbacks in the country or two of the top five quarterbacks in the country, and two completely different style kids. Uh, uh, I, I liken uh, Cody Kessler to uh, uh, kind of a Drew Brees kind of guy, you know, built like that, kind of, you know, loosey-goosey, makes, you know, smart reads and throws and can throw it up like he threw one today uh, where Robert Woods really had uh, somebody beat deep and he just lofted it up, you know, so that, you know, Robert Woods would have plenty of time to run under it. And he just, you know, just very heady, you know, sort of a kid. Um, uh, Wittick is more the, you know, prototype 6'4 plus, you know, 215, 220 pounds. He looks like, um, you know, the, He's like your classic uh, big, strong-armed uh, Orange County USC quarterback. You know, he's in the, you know in that mold, uh, and uh, you know, real strong arm. Uh, you know, got kind of uh, you know throws the ball you know through you know just through uh, seams and, and that kind of thing. They're they're really opposite. I mean, they're really different kinds of quarterbacks, and it's a a really uh, an interesting combination uh, to see the. 
the two of them go back to back, but they certainly look like they belong. They certainly, it's probably easier, I'm guessing, to have two of them as early entries. I think uh, having one, like when Barkley comes in, one early entry quarterback who's going to get a chance, probably a little harder situation than having two of you where you're both going through the the kind of adjustments that uh, early entry quarterbacks go through their, you know, first spring in school. So uh, uh, I think it's going really well with those two. Certainly, yeah. There are a couple of fun guys to to watch out there. Mikel Roby is another one that's been playing well. There's been some good cornerback play, and I think Deion Bailey made a lot of strides this week. He seems to be around the ball quite a bit. He really did. I I mean, he's a big, strong kid. You know, he's just a very strong, athletic, you know, competitive. I don't think we know exactly maybe why we didn't see as much of those kids, you know, that were going to be redshirted. It might have been a, you know, we really didn't ever go into that much with the coaches uh, in terms of uh, the kind of choices they made and, you know, how much time they thought. I think because they had to spend so much time with the guys that they definitely knew were going to be playing in the games, they may not have been able to give those kids – as much uh, as much work. So this is really important, I think, for them this spring for those kids. But they, um, you know, they look like they really want to, you know, mix it up. And uh, they're pretty athletic and pretty strong. I mean, Anthony Brown, I mean, and I think Patrick, getting to see Patrick Hall without a knee brace on and realizing what, you know, kind of bursts he's got, what kind of an athlete, what kind of, you know, how he runs and all that. And I don't know how much time he's ever spent playing cornerback, but they're getting a lot of chance to do that. And he certainly looks like he could be, you know, very strong, very fast. I mean, I I guess probably he's almost exactly the same size uh, as, say, a Cherise Wright in every way, you know, know, a a fairly strong uh, cornerback. But but he hasn't had that knee brace on, and he really looks like he's pretty darn healthy. And uh, he can fly. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't take part in the seven-on-seven portion. He, I sometimes he comes a little bit later, but he jumps in with right. the the one-on-ones. Exactly, he gets there for the one-on-ones. I don't know if he's doing, uh, you know, tutoring or, or, or classwork, whatever. But I like it that you know he's getting over there and, and getting right in when he uh, when he gets there. But you know, there's a five-star kid that's you know just there. I mean, that's yeah. A, that's an athlete. I mean, that's, that's and he looks like he's having fun now, and he looks like he's enjoying himself. And he got over the rough spots of the, you know, the first semester, and uh, you know, not having to drag that big old uh, knee brace around with him and all that. I think uh, I'm very interested in how that's going to go. I think he's got a heck of an upside uh, yeah. to him. It's obviously a spot that USC could use some help in, and you know. The, the, if he's a guy, he's definitely the five-star athlete. If he hasn't lost a step, it looks like he looks good out there. If he can come in and work on his technique at cornerback, I mean, that that's a way to stay the field pretty quickly. Exactly, and it's a way to make a lot of money uh, in your career. I mean, it's got, you know, that's if you're going to the NFL uh, and you can really run with people and stay with people. I, I just You just watch him and you realize, you know, like there would be times he'd be running sideways and staying with, you know, I mean, if you're playing any of the wide receivers that, that you're playing, uh, you know, with USC right now, you're playing against really good athletes. And you realize, you know, he's staying with them running sideways. Uh, he, he's very, very, uh, you know, athletic and very, uh, he's got, again, he's got a, a great upside and, and there's a, you know, there's a heck of a future for him if uh, if he can, 
you know, jump in there and, uh, you know, do all the things cornerbacks have to do. It'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see. But he's one to keep an eye on, I think, this, uh, this spring. Certainly is one to keep an eye on. And there's, uh, there's some other new guys that have been kind of fun to watch. Uh, so Vanuku, who was supposed to be in last year's class and, uh, and you know, he ends up still being part of the class of 2010 as an early enrollee as well. Big looking kid. I mean, USC needs some help at fullback. We see Hunter Simmons out there catching some passes and stuff. But right. some of Anuku's a guy that he's built, man. He looks like he could be a, a bowling ball there at, at fullback. Right, and he, I think he got all the way up to 260 in high school or, you know, maybe played 250 and then 260 afterwards. Uh, he's, he's 240 right now, and he looks perfect at 240. I mean, he is a – he like, he looks kind of like a just a slightly smaller scale Ray Malaluga uh, as his cousin. Because uh, uh, the thing that always surprised you about Ray was how flexible he was. I mean, you remember a couple of those interceptions and returns and that, and you thought, oh, I didn't know Ray could, you know, because Ray didn't look like he was going to be, um, you know, a guy with those soft hands and with the ability to catch it and run with it. Well, Soma's clearly, I would have never guessed that they could bring in a freshman who, who might be able to catch the ball in the same uh, class with uh, Stanley Havili. I think he can, uh, and, you know, he's probably 10 pounds heavier. And, uh, and I don't think he's carried any extra weight. I, I, he's a very impressive kid. He's, uh, you know, he gives them a whole different thought about, uh, you know, do they have a fullback or not? I mean, that was one of the questions going out of the fall was, you know, do we have a fullback in the program or not, a scholarship fullback? And they weren't sure. I think they do. Uh, I don't think there's any question they do. I mean, he ma- he's made some – Catches over the shoulder in traffic, uh, you know, with soft hands, very flexible. You know, a lot of times you get, you know, get a guy that's strong enough to block, uh, you know, get that ISO block as a fullback. He's not, doesn't have the flexibility, uh, the upper body uh, ability to catch the ball over both shoulders and all that. And uh, it looks like Soma does. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's way, I think he's much more than I might have expected, even though. You know, the ratings had him as probably the number one fullback in the country. It's not a position where you you have a lot of maybe great athletes and what have you, but, uh, you know, once you see him, you don't doubt that, that he's probably uh, correctly, you know, ranked as uh, as possibly the, you know, the top fullback coming out of high school. He's he's a very, very much of a, a, a positive with this class. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff as always. We really appreciate the the insights. And again, I wanted to apologize to everyone else out there for having a late podcast go up on uh, Monday night, but we should be back to our normal schedule next week. And thanks again, Dan. I appreciate it. Oh, I enjoyed it, Ryan. Thank you very much. All Bye. right, everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in, listening to the Peristyle Podcast on peristylepodcast.com. Tune in next week. We'll have uh, another great show talking about the USC football team. listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.